From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny. Welcome back to a new season of the show, sort of. I'm recording remotely with my colleagues, Benta Berkland and Caitlin Kim. Hi. Hi, Andy. It's Thursday morning, January 14th. Things could change by the time you hear this, but right now, the state legislature has just come back to work and we'll take a pause again by this weekend. And I'm in Washington, D.C., in a secure location at the Capitol, the one I hid in for two hours on Wednesday. Wow. And the House has just whipped through an impeachment vote faster than ever before. There are National Guard troops in the Capitol for the first time since the Civil War. Frankly, I'm hoping to get some sleep between now and the inauguration. Lynn, when you say secure location, do you actually feel that way? What does the Capitol feel like in this moment? Actually, yeah. <laughs> Given like how they're not letting anyone on the complex mm. and all the National Guard members here, it is kind of feeling very safe and very empty. <laughs> well, obviously, this is a political moment unlike any that either of us have lived through. Have you really been able to wrap your brain around it? What's going on in those Capitol halls? You know, no, I haven't. Look, what happened here at the Capitol both last week and this week is mind boggling. Mm. You know, there were a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who think what President Trump did was wrong. He incited his supporters and then he was too slow and not forceful enough in trying to quell this mob. Mm. And what's been surprising to me is the response, because you'd think Congress would unite, but they haven't. Did it look like they might for a second or how has that developed? You know, some Republicans floated the idea of censuring the president, you know, this formal statement of disapproval. Mm. But Democrats argued that didn't go far enough. You know, if this isn't impeachable behavior, then what is? And you saw some of this at the impeachment debate. Sure, the president has some defenders, Mm -hmm. but some Republicans, including um, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader who didn't spearhead the debate, He was critical of Trump, and many Republicans made this process argument, you know, too fast, no hearings, this is a rush to impeachment. Colorado's Ken Buck or freshman representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina come to mind. Others argue impeachment is divisive, and what's needed now is unity and healing. And I think what stood out to me on the political level Uh is, um, you know, what all this showed is the strength of the executive branch compared to the legislative branch. Hmm. You know, a lot of Democrats and Republicans like to say they're co-equal branch of government. But I think what we're seeing now is that Congress is not a co-equal. Indeed. And we're going to get a little bit back to some of the impeachment talk later. One more question for you, though. I'm curious, are you able to get access to those lawmakers? What is the job of a reporter in the Capitol How is it working right now compared to normal? Yeah, you still get access. I mean, there are still areas that have been closed off to reporters, and that happened during the pandemic. Mm. You can still get access to lawmakers as they go in and out of the chambers Mm. in the hallways of the Capitol. And I will say now that they've added um, metal detectors in front of the doors leading at least onto the House chamber, they have to stop and pause. So you you do get a chance to talk with them there. An extra opportunity. I'll note that I believe, Caitlin, you are the only Colorado-based reporter who's in D.C. almost full-time. Let me turn to Benta now. Benta, you've been in the state capitol this week uh, for the session to get underway, right? Yes, the legislature convened. Session began under the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic and obviously historic political turmoil in the nation's capital. Mm. The FBI issued a warning that state capitals could be the next targets of political unrest. Mm. And some lawmakers told me they did have more trepidation returning to the building Normally, opening day of session is a little bit like back to school, so (laughs) everyone's pretty happy to be there. Um, You have a lot of new lawmakers, people who won tough political campaigns and are in office for the first time. So it's families and pictures and flowers. So with the pandemic, with social distancing, 
and, and all the restrictions in place, we didn't see that. It was much more somber and a lot, a lot quieter. And you know, what's been really surreal to me is that this pandemic started when we were in the last legislative session in 2020, and we watched them work to figure out how to do that in the midst of the pandemic. And now we've kind of gone around and we're starting another cycle during the pandemic. It just underlines how long this has been going on mm -hmm. for. Meanwhile, I am uh, in my home. I will not be in the Capitol building for a little while. We've got a little tiny baby who's about two months old. So I'm gonna hold off for a little bit and Benta is heroically charging into that building to help take care of business for us, and I'll be watching from afar. Anyway, we could not have two better reporters to talk with us right now about how these momentous days have changed Colorado politics, and we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into both of those topics, national and state politics. Caitlin, let's return to Congress and start with the Coloradan who I would say has probably made the most news this week. To think that I'm ignorant of D.C. carry laws just because I said I will carry is a little absurd. So who is that and what are they talking about? That is Colorado's newest Congress member, Lauren Boebert. You know, she put out this video the day that she was sworn in uh, saying she'd carry her Glock in the Capitol. And a pistol? Yeah, a Glock pistol, yes, around uh, Washington, D.C. and in the Capitol. And the Washington, D.C. police chief was asked about this, and he actually had to say he'd reach out to her office to make sure she understands D.C. gun laws. And this quickly became a national story, right? Yes, that and a whole host of other things became national stories with her, mm. from her objection to Arizona's election count, her disdain for Democrats, her problems with metal detectors at the door of the House chamber, her Twitter tiffs. <laughs> um, she's been in office less than a week before hashtag resign Bobert started trending. Yeah. She's making a splash or a wave, uh, depending on how you view her. Yes, she is. And what's interesting is this is a she is a figure that we've known here in Colorado for a number of months through the election. But this is a whole new order of magnitude yep. for Lauren Boebert. And she is now at the center of in a weird way. You don't expect to see like a, a freshman get this much attention. Right. Well, also, I just don't think a lot of Colorado members of Congress do get this much national attention. Mm. Not that we don't have members of Congress in the news from time to time, but mm -hmm. it feels like every day I'm reading seen so much news about her. I mean, she was essentially trending on Twitter earlier this week. Yeah. Caitlin, talk to us a little bit about how she's kind of hacking the normal process that a freshman would go through. I think part of it has been her Twitter. Like, like she is, a, you know, she... She sort of has taken a page from President Trump when it comes to getting her message out via Twitter. She sort of stays with the red meat message for the base, her base in particular, mm. you know, freedom, constitution, guns, you know, all those things that you expect from her. And, you know, she has a personality and she's not a wallflower. She is fiery. And that comes across when you talk with her. Um, we saw this as we were following her campaign this summer at, as she was out and about in the district. Like she doesn't hold back. She's got a good life story. Mm. She has these good sound bites that that come across well over social media these days. And she has been utilizing this. I think, you know, just as an FYI, you know, for someone who's been in politics just over a year, mm. she has the largest Twitter following of anyone in Colorado's delegation. And she has been using that uh, to her advantage. Yeah. Um, at some would say maybe she's been using it a little too much. Um, and this goes into some of the Twitter tips that I've been talking about. She and Jason Crow have gotten into it hmm. um, at the end of December. 
Boebert uh, tweeted that she'd object to the electoral count. She'd also said that, not surprisingly, you know, and she tweeted out, quote, we need a groundswell of patriots, you know, unquote, mm. to demand Congress object. You know, Crow replied via Twitter, real patriots gave their lives to uphold their oaths to the Constitution. And he's made no secret of the fact that he thinks some of her rhetoric, especially on Twitter, is dangerous. Is this unusual, Lynn, to see this kind of explicit public spat between congressional members? Uh, from the Colorado delegation? Yes, I think it is very unusual. I think the Colorado delegation is small enough and tight enough that, you know, they have this reputation of being a delegation, despite, you know, Republican Democratic breakdown, that get along. And, you know, personally, they do get along. Um, So this is, this is an interesting and a different dynamic. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out as the delegation works to try and get stuff done for the state. I think this really also is emblematic of what we're seeing across the country. I mean, we've got the the president's claims of widespread voter fraud, which have been debunked, but those are not fringe beliefs. I was out talking to Republican voters prior to uh, last Wednesday's riots and throughout the week, and everyone I talked to did think there were election and voting irregularities. One of the voters I spoke with, Vance Bunker from Berthoud, echoed a lot of things I was hearing from Republicans. They weren't okay with what happened at the Capitol with the riots and the violence, but they did agree with the underlying premise. Um, And I gotta be honest with you, I'm sick of the lying and the stealing and cheating. There's a lot of people that are, are ready to go for it. And I don't know if that's the right answer. I certainly don't wanna be involved in a civil war or anything of that nature. That's the wrong way to go. Benta, did that person mention uh, Boebert in particular? Did you talk to them about Boebert? I was talking to voters in Doug Lamborn's congressional district, ah. and that's in El Paso County and near you know Colorado Springs area. So people weren't specifically talking about Boebert. I know she's getting a lot of national attention, but even when I was in the state capitol, it's not something people are casually talking about. And I'm sure if you specifically ask them, they would have a reaction, but it's not you know, it's not the first thing that's coming to their mind, given everything else that's happened. Yeah. yeah. And and to sort of tag on to what Benta was saying, I, you know, and I think we need to sort of stress this yet again, and we've stressed this all through Purplish last season, there is no evidence of this widespread voter fraud that a lot of these Republicans and Trump supporters are, are talking about. You know, they're just repeating things that they've heard from Trump that, you know, Judges, lawyers, departments from within the government have said are not true. And yet this is the firmly held belief now of the majority of Republican voters. And I would say that Congresswoman Boebert, along with some other uh, newer Congress members in particular, seem to be positioning themselves as the avatar of that belief and the kind of avatar of post-Trump Trumpism. Right. And 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 where this post-Trump Trumpism may lead for the party. But I, I was going to say what Benta just played reminded me of something you had been reporting on this summer, Andy, this idea of civil war, mm. and that it's gotten to this point that the political rhetoric has reached this kind of fever pitch that was on display when pro-Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Okay, so we just uh, actually paused recording for a second right there, and we're coming back now because Benta lost power where she was and now is rejoining us via the phone instead of the computer, the joys of remote work. So Benta, you heard Caitlin describe the DC Capitol 
Is that what it's like there in Denver? Is it all doom and gloom? Or have you found some uh, some hints of optimism in the first days of the session? Well, the session was different than it usually is. It wasn't quite as celebratory, but you, you still have people who campaigned hard, who won their elections, who are in the halls of the state capitol. It's still beautiful. Um, I talked to two Democratic lawmakers, and they were just kind of in disbelief that they were finally there after all the doors they've knocked on and going through COVID. And one of them, Representative um, Bacon, said, like, well, we were just regular people a few years ago going to events. So there was still a sense of excitement. Um, We have some first, we have our first state lawmaker who uses a wheelchair, our first Muslim lawmaker, and then our first lawmaker who's an African immigrant. Hmm. Who is that? That's Naquita Ricks. Her family fled Liberia when she was a child, and she said they left a coup, and she saw what happened on the U.S. Capitol as an attempted coup. She said it was just really kind of shocking to to watch it play out, and D.C. was definitely on her mind on opening day. Not to see it in the great United States, right? And then the fight, the fight that is going on now, I just don't think it should be a fight. I mean, we have to protect our democracy at all costs. Mm. I would add, though, that she was still thrilled to be at the Colorado Capitol. Lawmakers from across the political spectrum said that they feel the weeks coming up are going to be critically important when it yeah. comes to COVID relief and things on transportation, healthcare. I mean, we're going to see a lot of big policy proposals. And so a lot of lawmakers are anxious to get to work, which will really start in mid-February. Wow. So it sounds like a mix of, you know, that kind of classic awe and wonder of being in the big building with, of course, the dread and division of modern politics. Um, Speaking of, are we seeing new security? How are they handling this second session of the pandemic? The building's open to the public, but there were very few people inside the building. Mm. So lawmakers you know, weren't allowed to have all their family members and such on the chamber floors. The Colorado Capitol has metal detectors. Lawmakers, nonpartisan staff, people who have offices in the Capitol have a badge and they go around the metal detectors. So Mm. when, you know, Caitlin, you're talking about uh, carrying at the U.S. Capitol, we do have lawmakers in Colorado who have concealed carry permits Mm and are carrying on the chamber floors. You know, they don't go through the metal detector. Wow. Members of the public, that's not the case because you do have to go through a metal detector. Well, actually, but even here in the Capitol, staff have to go through a metal detector. Even though I have a badge, I have to go through the metal detectors. It was just lawmakers that didn't. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's that question of whether lawmakers are willing to force other lawmakers to do things. And we saw that earlier with, uh, you know, mask wearing and COVID restrictions. Uh, I'll also add that the Colorado lawmakers are talking about some major security projects for the building. That conversation started back in the summer when the building was defaced during some of the larger protests. Um, That eventually could mean more fences, more cameras, fortified doors, but we're not seeing that quite yet. So anyway, Bento, what are they actually doing back in the building? Why are they there this week? Well, constitutionally, they had to start the session on the date they started it. They have to swear in new lawmakers. And then there's some bills related to COVID relief that they wanted to clean up and and pass. Mm. We had a special session not long ago in December related to COVID. And then they're going to take this pause. And the pause is allowed. It's legal because uh, we're in a declared state of emergency. Mm. So the legislature really won't get underway in full until February 16th. 
And so that's when everyone will be back. Most lawmakers are getting vaccines this week. If they choose to get a vaccine, it's available to them. Um, So there will be more people vaccinated in the building. Mm. And when all the big bills start getting introduced, it's going to bring people to the Capitol to testify, even though the state has expanded remote testifying capabilities and tried to make things more virtual. Mm -hmm. There still will be people who want to come to the Capitol in person. Well, I think it's going to be harder to track some of the big discussions that I'm sure will be happening even before they return to the building next month. But what do we know about what the big priorities this year will be? We've got Democratic majorities once again in the Senate and the House. What have we heard about that you think they'll be discussing in February? I mean, I've heard a lot of you know uh, looking at transportation funding mm-hmm. and trying to come up with a an agreement on to increase fees around that to pay for projects. Democrats have said they want to focus on climate change. They want to focus on housing. Lawmakers in both parties want to look at recovering from this pandemic Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and helping small businesses and helping individuals. And Republicans uh, in the Senate especially want to put things in place to give the legislature more authority in the future if we're ever under a declared state of emergency because it gives the governor so much power for executive orders and they're considering ideas to require the legislature to come in and review things after certain times. And there's some ideas being floated, but I I know that'll be a point of discussion as well. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, Benta. Um, Republicans on opening day were talking not just about what role does the legislature play in these public health emergencies, but also what role does the minority party, aka Republicans, get to play in making laws? They want to know Basically, are they what input are they going to have? What role will they play from the position of not holding power? Uh, one other thing that you mentioned that's obviously going to be big is uh, further stimulus spending, both from the feds and from any extra money that the state might have lying around. Where are you hearing on that front, Benta? I think we're obviously that's a huge priority. And some of the budget committee members I talked to said they were waiting to see what's going to happen at the federal level. And Caitlin, I don't know how quickly we can expect to see something, but depending upon a federal stimulus and if it money can go to states or local governments, you know, that will have an impact for sure on our state budget and and programs that lawmakers hope to push out. Right. And and I do know that the Biden administration is planning on having stimulus um, and and dealing with this coronavirus as one of its main priorities coming in. It's just a matter of how quickly he can get support within Congress, especially a 50-50 Senate. Um, I think that's going to be the key. How many senators uh, Biden can convince on the Republican side to join on some of the stimulus when you have people like Joe Manchin, um, a conservative Democrat, saying he's not going to be supportive of, a, for example, a $2,000 stimulus check. And that also shapes decisions that the state government makes. You know, the state government has some extra money that they could theoretically spend or that they could save for later. And the decisions about whether to spend that one-time money will depend on whether they think they're going to get that federal backup. Right. And as you know, state and local aid has been a very contentious point here in Congress between Republicans and Democrats. And whether Biden can actually paper over some of those rifts uh, really does remain to be seen. Well, even in chaotic times, we like to keep one thing the same. Uh, we like to, at the end of this show, share a moment, a wait, what, 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 something that made us pause and ask, what was that? And I know that tens of people are demanding that we keep this tradition up to keep the country together in this time. Um, <laughs> I know that a lot of politics has probably counted as a wait, what moment lately, but I understand that Benta has one in particular to share with us. 
Yes. And this is a good wait what moment. So I was at the state capitol the day before opening day and, and watching people get ready and, you know, just prepare for everyone to be back at the capitol. And I heard this. So I thought, wait, what's that? So I, I went to the Senate chamber and it was Senate President Leroy Garcia. I had no idea he was a very accomplished piano player. And Senate Minority Leader Chris Holbert on guitar. And they were rehearsing the national anthem. <laughs> a notoriously difficult song. Yeah. Yes, exactly. nice moment. I mean, especially a few years ago, I mean, Holbert sued Garcia over a procedural fight and, you know, they had had a very tense relationship at times. And so it was nice to see this duet. Music bridging divides everywhere. That's right. You just need to get someone to play the guitar in Congress when you need to find out who the best musicians are in Congress and have them do a little performance. I'm, I'm going to say this right before they broke for Christmas, Republican Senator Lamar Alexander uh, was playing Christmas tunes for senators in the building and Tim Kaine came up with his harmonica and they were doing duets and it was like such a heartwarming it really is a heartwarming moment I feel like a lot of the politics we talk about is division and people like your rancor and and all that it's nice to have these moments of yeah yeah people can get along there's you know I think that that idea of like decorum and these nice moments makes some people roll their eyes but I also think that when those things disappear, when you don't have those moments, that's a sign of something worse. When when they go away, I don't think it's a good thing. Well, but Benta, to your point, I will try and encourage the Colorado delegation to start maybe like, I don't know, an acapella band or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Might not be the time for that. <laughs> COVID and all. Anyway. That is it for this week's episode. We will be back most likely when the legislature returns. Maybe sooner if something ridiculous or... No, don't jinx us, Andy. Don't jinx us. <laughs> Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleagues Benta Berkland and Caitlin Kim. You can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Kim. You can find me on Twitter at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Andy KNNY. Thank you for being with us. This is Purplish from CPR News. Mm-hmm.